going to ask for a prayer for you, uh, for me. I was cleaning my glasses back there and snapped them in half, as evidenced by this wonderful scotch tape job done right here in the middle. Uh, I don't care about necessarily how it looks because let's, we all know I don't look cool. That ship has sailed a long time ago. But we will pray though as they stay on my face because I am blind as a bat without them. Okay, so reading the Bible and seeing the screen would be basically impossible for me without these things. So please pray that 3M Scotch Tape is worth its money. Alright? Um, it's good to be back with you guys. I'm going to give you a warning. I have not preached uh, three out of the last four weeks, which for a pastor basically is just pent up preaching, building up, and now you guys get the first sermon of the year for me. So I am ready. I hope you got your seatbelts on. I hope you're excited because we're going to get into the word today. Uh, everybody have a good start to the year? Yes. Good for you guys. We have not. We were sick. I couldn't breathe last week. We've gotten the flu. Our car broke down. But I'm hoping as God just said, hey, let's get the bad stuff out to start the year and then smooth sailing for 11 more months. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Um, one quick announcement so I don't forget. After church today, if you're interested in being part of our visitation team or our greeting team that meets everybody when they come in the doors, welcomes first-time visitors, tells them about the church, if you're interested in being part of that, Please hang out for just a few minutes in the fellowship hall. Uh, Donna and James want to meet with you guys and get ourselves planned for the year. So if you want to be part of that greeting team, just hang out for a few minutes afterwards. Everybody good with that? All right. Um, where's the clicker at? Sorry, guys. I'm all over the place this morning. Clicker. All right. Hang with me. I'm going to talk as I'm looking for my clicker. <laughs> You guys can all get a shot of my beautiful glasses. <laughs> all right, can't find it. Alan, you may just have to change slides for me, all right? So, uh, Alan, if you'll advance to the next slide. What I want to talk today about, wait, come Maria, is I want to talk about how we are as Christians. Uh, one of my favorite pastors and authors is A.W. Tozer. And what I love about this guy is, Tozer isn't the deepest guy theologically. But what I love about him is, he loves God. He is passionately in love with God. He says this, go to church once a week and nobody pays attention. Worship God seven days a week and you become strange. So this series we're starting is around that word there, strange. My desire for us is that we are strange. I honestly think too many of us as Christians have become unbelievably complacent. We are caught up in church activities, but not truly being Christians who are on fire. Anybody watch playoff football yesterday? No? Wow, no playoff football. So I watched playoff football yesterday. One of my favorite things when they're showing football games and basketball games is when they give you the behind the scenes and they give you like a clip of showing the coach kind of giving that pep talk and that speech to his team about what they're going to do and why they should be pumped up and why they should be excited. You know what I always notice about those speeches? They're never about the rules of the game. Have you ever noticed that? You ever see a coach give like a really fiery talk about, we will be the least penalized team in the league. Gentlemen, today what we're going to do is commit no fouls. That's what we're going to do. 
Never. You never hear that from a coach. And in fact, you know why you don't? Because that's not the fun part of the game. Any of us who've played sports in our lives know, as you play sports, you learn the rules of the game. You learn what you can do, and you learn what you can't do. But the reason you play the game isn't for the rules. You play the game because you love the competition. You love the game because you love getting hit. You love the game because you like making a basket. You love the game for the essence of the game. Yes, you'll learn the boundaries. Yes, you'll learn what you can and can't do. But what really passionately moves you is love of the game. As Christians, I think we forgot this. See, what a lot of us have done is we have turned Christianity into a study of the rules. We have turned Christianity into, let me look at this book that my father gave me and make a list of all the things I should do or shouldn't do and let me really pay attention to those rules. We've become so focused on the rules, we forget why we're even playing the game to begin with. The point of God's relationship, the point of this book, is not for you to be an encyclopedia of rules on how to behave in life. The point is for you to be in an unbelievably awesome, passionate, love-filled relationship that changes your soul, soul, shakes the world, and changes everything about you. Yes, along the way, does God give you some guidelines? Sure, but it's not about the guidelines. Think about it. When you watch sports, you don't like the superstar who's best at following the rules. You like the one that plays the game with all passion and excitement and ability. In fact, the only people who really like the rules are those weird referees. (laughs) They're the only ones that really get passionate about the rule book. But as Christians, you know what's happened? We've become referees. We spend more of our time about the rules than about what the point of the whole thing is. And that's why you and I aren't strange. Basically, we're just a group of people who've picked a philosophy of rules to live by. Well, guess what? Everybody has a philosophy of rules. The whole society's based on rules. I always laugh in America when people are like, well, we're about freedom. And I don't want anybody to tell me what I can do with my life because that's American. People, you can't judge how fast you're going to drive your car. There's rules about what materials your vehicle's made with, when you register it, how you fill it up, how you drive it, where you store it. There's rules for everything. Everything in our lives is ruled and regulated. And so as Christians, what happens is, is when you become just about the rules, do you know what happens to your passion? Disappears. And frankly... Nobody's signing up for a group of people to hang out with rule followers. I mean, do any of you ever watch NFL football and go, man, I'd love to be a referee. (laughs) Forget being quarterback. Forget scoring touchdowns. Forget winning games. What I want to do is know the rules. That sounds fun. No one does that. And so as Christians, what I ask you as you think about this year, How passionately on fire are you for God? I'm not asking how often do you come to church. I'm not asking how often are you in Sunday school. I'm not asking how often do you read this book. I'm talking about how passionately in love with God 
are you? How often are you chasing after him with everything you've got? Now, I want to be careful here, so let me give one caveat before I jump in. I've heard a lot of young preachers who, to me, have gone the wrong direction. Have you heard this statement? I hate religion, but I love God. I am, I am not a religious person. I am a person in love with the Lord. I'll be honest, I hate that statement. The reason I hate that statement is you have to know the balance. And here's the balance. Religion in and of itself is not bad. You know why it's not bad? It's a gift from God. Most of our traditions, most of our rules, most of the things we obey by, who gave them to us? God did. The only problem becomes is when those rules that were put in place to help the main purpose of having a loving relationship with God, when that main purpose becomes subservient to the rules, you got a problem. But to throw the rules out, silly, because that's a gift God gave you. Yes, you should be at church. Yes, you should read your Bible. Yes, you should know the morality. But just understand, that's not the point. We've talked about this before. Our enemy, Satan, he's good at one thing and pretty much one thing only. Perversion. God, or Satan, is not a creator. He can't make anything new. The only thing he can do is take things that already exist and try to make them something they're not. So examples, sex. A lot of Christians act like sex is bad. Sex is not bad. It's a gift from God. The only thing God says is, is there's a context to which that needs to be had. It should be a husband and a wife and a long-term, lifelong relationship where they are made one. And then it's beautiful. What Satan goes is, oh, well, I can't create anything new, but I'm going to take the sex thing and I'm going to make it something else. I'm going to make people chase that, not love. It's the same thing we see with food. God gave us food that tastes good for a reason. Have you ever wondered, like, you know, for me, dieting is a big part of my life. So I've always wondered, like, why couldn't God have just made, like, one fruit that I eat and it has all the nutrients I need for the day and I'm never hungry and I'm done? Why did he make it taste so good? <laughs> Right? If things didn't taste so good, I would struggle with self-control. But see, that's what Satan does, is he takes the sin God's given you, and it's good and it's beautiful, and what does he do? He tries to make it the focus. Well, guess what? The same thing is true of religion. God gave you rules. God gave you a way to do things. God gave you ideals. What Satan's done with Christians is he goes, that's the focus. It's not about Jesus. It's about the rules. It's not. It's not about that. Guys, what I want you to think about this year is how different are you today than you were a year ago? If I were to go back and introduce you to 2016 you, how much have you changed? If the answer is I haven't, you've got a problem. How different are you two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago? Some of you are probably on a treadmill where you're the exact same spot you've been for a decade. Now here's the problem. That's okay if all you're doing is interacting with you and pe regular people. Why? Because regular people, we're boring. We're not soul changing. We're not earth shattering. We don't open you up to the awesomeness of the galaxy. But guess what? If you're in a passionate relationship with God, 
If every day you're hanging out with the creator of the universe, if every day you're talking to one that is perfect and loving and awesome, do you know what happens to you? You change. You change. Have you ever noticed you can take an untalented person and put them with a group of talented people and all of a sudden they start to become better? They just start to learn. Because they're around people who know how to do things right. And vice versa, you can take someone who's pretty talented and if you put them on a bad team for a long time, they'll get worse. Because they're not stretched, they're not growing, they're not changing. So how much are you changing? should be a lot. And so I want us to look at, in this series, how do you and I go from being mediocre, normal people who are just trying to get through the week to being strange weirdos who are on fire for God every day and live in a way that others go, man, that's crazy. That is crazy. I don't know what you're on. I don't know what you're doing. But you are different. I want to be like that. If you got your Bibles, open up with me to John 15, verses 1 through 6. John 15, 1 through 6. While you're flipping there, let me give you this warning. There's one thing God hates. God hates when people are stagnant. He hates when there's no fire in their guts. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, Jesus is talking to the churches of the world. And one church in specific he talks to because they're lukewarm. He says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Ever hear God use the word vomit? I want you to listen to that. What does God say to the stagnant church that doesn't change? Notice, this isn't to sinners who aren't part of the church. This isn't to pagans who don't even know He exists. This is to the church that just shows up and does the same thing over and over again. Passionately shows up, sings some songs, listens to the preacher, puts some money in the plate, check, did my work for the week. What does He say to them? I spit you out. I vomit you out. Because God, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're nothing. It's like you're not even alive. Don't be those people. Don't be that church. We have got to be a church. We have got to be a people that are on fire. We are passionate about what we're doing. Church isn't something we can deal with or not deal with. It's something i got to have. Why? Because it gets me closer to the most important person in my life, God. How your relationship with God would be is like if someone tried to take your kid. You take my babies, there ain't nothing in the world that's going to matter. I'm going to find those kids or I'm going to die trying. Because those are the most important things to me. You're not going to stop me. There'll be no other priorities, no other things that I put forth. I'm going to get there. Or die trying. How many of you have that passion for God? I'll be honest. There's days I'm unbelievably disappointed on this. Have plans to pray. Have plans to read. Oh, but there's a TV show on. God, I'm going to passionately run, on, run towards you. Unless something more entertaining comes on TV. Then I'm going to stop. That's not very passionate. So look at John 15. 
John 15, 1 through 6, Christ describes what Christianity is supposed to be about. And I want you to notice, it's not about rules. There's no talk here about rules. In John 15, what he's going to say is, this is what it's about. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Do you hear what God's saying there? What Jesus is talking about is Christianity is a relationship where you and Him are linked as one. I love that word abide. He's saying, I don't want you to be close to me. I don't want you to be next to me. I don't want you to be in the same neighborhood as me. I want you and I to be one. I want you to live in me as I live in you. We're one flesh linked together. And here's the beautiful point he makes. Guys, you can't do it on your own. I know that. You are flawed, you have sin, you have weaknesses. When you try to run on your own, do you know what happens? You fall. It's what you do. So when you live in me, though, something changes. Because now, instead of you having to rely on your own power, your own strength, your own love to get you through life, you don't rely on you anymore. You link back to a power source that knows no limit. You know, back to a power source that doesn't run out, that doesn't extinguish, that knows no boundaries. And so, Christ's point to us is, guys, the rules, guess what? If you're linked to me, you'll follow. All that stuff you worry about, being powerful, being loving, being self-confident, being patient, being peaceful. If you're chasing after those, you miss it. But if you're linked to me, I'll fill you with all that fuel. Come to me and I am the power source that will move you in the right way and in the right time. And so brothers and sisters, where you and I have to get real about our relationship with God is, 
is there are things God tells us will happen to us if we're linked to Him. And so what we got to be real is if we look in the mirror and we look at that list of things that He says will naturally happen and they're not happening, then it means we're not connected. It means that relationship's broken. It means we are a branch that's no longer on the vine. And that's why we're withering. Because we're not being filled with the fuel that only Christ can provide. Look at 2 Timothy 3. Your Bible is 2 Timothy 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to a young man, Timothy, who is kind of his mentee. He's a young pastor who's coming up, and Paul's trying to instruct them on the way to live this life and how to be this powerful person. And so in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, it says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never being able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Ambrus opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as with those two men. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, in the end times, people will love the things God created, but not Him. Man, if that doesn't sum up who we are as American people, I don't know what it is. We love liberty. We love freedom. We love power. We love food. We love sex. We love all these things that God created. But you know who we don't love? God. We're obsessed with what He has, but not with Him. Which frankly is sad because Folks, when that happens in your life, do you know what's happening in that relationship? You're just using somebody. It's like if you own a pickup truck, you have friends that are just your friend because you have a pickup truck. Right? Oh, you got a truck? You want to help me move? Right? I could care less who you are. I'm just glad you got a truck. Well, there's people who only want God for what God has. It's why a lot of us come to God when we need stuff. It's why most of us fall on our knees and pray when bad things are happening. But amazingly, when things are going great, we don't pray so often. Because we go, oh, I don't really need anything right now. I kind of got things handled. I mean, God, you could probably take a break. If you haven't seen how talented I am right now, I've got things under control. It's only when things go bad we fall on our knees and go, Father, I need you. And what we're really saying is, I need your stuff. I need your stuff. I need your patience. I need your power. I need you to solve this problem I've been unable to solve myself. And what Paul says is be careful of these people because they will give the appearance of believers, but they're not. They'll give you the appearance that they belong, but they don't because they're not chasing the right thing. 
They don't even get what we're here for. We're here for the relationship. You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Ichinum and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which will be able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. See, what Paul's saying is, don't get pushed in the wrong direction. It's so easy in this race to lose sight of where you're going. And what some of us have done is we started this because we encountered a God who is awesome. We encountered a God where we were buried in sin. We were lost. We didn't know where to go. We didn't know where to turn. We just felt emptiness. And a God came down. He pulled us out of the mud. He washed us clean and He adopted us into His family. And that amazing, awesome love started something. Yet for some of us, as we've been on this journey, we've stopped chasing God and we've started chasing other things. Can't happen. Can't happen. God tells us, that what you and I should see is that if we're connected to Him, there's a spirit in us. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I want to ask you something. If you're a Christian, and God gave you that spirit, is it possible that that spirit won't be seen? Is it possible if God has given you a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, that you can hide that? No! Can't hide it. Not possible. So brothers and sisters, what we should be able to see, every one of us, if we look in the mirror is, if I belong to Christ, that describes me. Power, love, and self-discipline. Why? Not because of who I am, but because of who He is. Because He's filling my tank with power, love, and self-discipline. There's no option for me to be anything other than powerful, loving, and self-disciplined. Why? Because it's what's being poured in every single day. But see, the problem for some of us is we look at that and go, that's not me. I don't have any of that. You know what that means? It means you've disconnected from the vine. It means what you should have been connected to is Christ. What should be driving you every day is Him. But you have separated from Him, so you're not being filled anymore. And that's why there's emptiness. That's why the engine's making noise. That's why you're not having these things in your life. Because the relationship's not right. Got to get that relationship right. See, brothers and sisters, what I want to wake some of you guys up to is, is Satan has tricked you. He's tricked you into you looking in the mirror and going, Yeah, I'm a good Christian. How do I know that? Well, because I go to church. I, I give money to the church. I pray. 
I read my Bible. I mean, I've been going to church for decades. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I say grace before I eat a meal. Um, I try to help people. So, so clearly, I'm in a good place. Guys, none of those things mean anything. Amen. How you know you're a Christian, how you know you're on the right path is, why? Because I talk to my Father every day. Amen. Because me and God, we're doing awesome things. Amen. Because I'm in a relationship that blows my mind. Amen. And here's the beauty of God. You never get bored with them. Amen. Me and Nicole laugh sometimes. Um, do you, any of you have been married for a while? Do you ever have those moments where your spouse looks at you and goes, you know what I'm thinking? And you go, hey, actually I do. Do you ever have those moments? Like where you don't even have to talk? We had one of these the other day. We were driving and she's like, you know what I want to go do? And I was like, actually I do. And I just started driving there. And she was like, how did you know that? I'm like, I don't know. It just seemed like what you'd want to do. She's like, by the time we're 60, do you think we'll even talk? Are we just going to look at each other and be like, yep, eh, or, yeah, uh-huh, okay. Do we even exchange words anymore? See, the beauty of God, though, is He's unlimited. There's no end to Him. His awesomeness is so unbelievable, you can never know it all. So He's kind of like that amazing book you're reading that you never want to end, and it never will. Amen. There's always another chapter. There's always more to learn. There's always another adventure. You should be pouring yourself into that. But some of you guys, you're content. Some of you look in the mirror and go, good enough. So I am. I'll get in. I mean, I'll get into heaven. I guess that's all that matters, right? Is that what you want to settle for? Why are you settling for mediocrity when awesomeness is what God offers. Where what God wants to give you is the kind of passionate life where you're someone who's just always on an adventure. Amen. So many of us are just settling. I'll be honest, like how many of you guys Monday morning all you're waiting for is Friday afternoon? <laughs> right? Like uh, how close are we to Friday? <coughs> I mean, some, some of you, the job's bad enough that actually you walk in and it's like, how long to first break? <laughs> Just got to get to coffee break. How long till lunch? How long till the end of Monday? Just get me to the end of Monday, Lord. Guys, that's not the mentality we're supposed to have. Amen. We're supposed to be the people who wake up and go, I'm changing the world today. Amen. We're doing awesomeness today. And guess what? You don't have to be in awesome places to do that. Paul would wake up in prison where he knew he was going to be beat that day and go, today's going to be an awesome day. Amen. Today we're going to change some people's lives. And you'd love to sit with them and go, Paul, you're in jail, dude. You're not going anywhere. All that's on the docket for you today is to be beaten, cursed at, bathroom break, beaten, and cursed at again. How could day today be awesome? And he goes, you just watch. Amen. You just watch. You know that guy who's beating me? I think I'm making a change in him. Amen. I think he's starting to listen to me. I think he's interested in Jesus. That's, that's strange. And that's the kind of strange we want to be. Amen. I want to give you one last story before we close. Flip in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. I've shared this one with you before, but man, it's just one of my favorites. 
my wife hates when I say that because I tend to say that about most Bible stories. I'm like, oh, this one's my favorite. And then next week I'm like, oh, this one's my favorite. I love this one. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 talks about this early church. And let me just give you a little bit of context. This strangeness I'm talking about is the reason we're here today. You realize the greatest historical event ever is the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. And what no one can argue is, whether they want to argue whether he was the Savior or not is, no one person has ever changed the world like he did. The hardest thing for atheists, historians to discuss is, is how, if he was simply just a carpenter, how in three years did he create a phenomenon that literally has reshaped the history of the world? Amen. You realize like, the greatest underdog story ever is that Christianity even still exists. When Jesus dies, you have maybe 200 people who will call themselves his followers. You have the Jewish people who want to kill Christianity, and you have the Roman Empire who want to kill Christianity. Amen. So the largest cultural force and the largest world force are set against stopping 200 people from putting these beliefs further. You fast forward 200 years later and you know what happened? The Roman Empire became Christian. So the people who could take over the world could stop the philosophy and the love and the way of life that one Jewish carpenter for three years spread to 200 people. Historians don't know how to explain it. Because there's been all kinds of events that have happened in history, but you know what happens? They pop up and then they disappear. They pop up and then they disappear. This doesn't go away. You can't kill it. And what you'll see is, you'll see why here in this verse right here. Look at Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, early Apostles trying to spread this message and they're running into walls everywhere they go. But notice what even their enemies see. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Cephas and John and Alexander, and all who were on high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Amen. 
Man, I love that. What I love is like, do you get the picture? Right? John and Peter have been preaching. Their preaching is winning people over by the thousands. Caiaphas and all the Sadducees get together and go, we got to stop this. This is bad. So they pull out all the important people. They arrest John and Peter. And why do they do that? They pulled this huge band of people and arrested them to scare them. Right? There's all the power brokers in this city. We've arrested you and we're lining up to go, why are you doing this? Are Peter and John scared at all? No, they're like, great. Thank you for getting me an audience. Let me tell you what you idiots have done. You took the greatest gift that's ever lived, Jesus Christ, the one who healed that man you're concerned about, and you rejected him and you killed him. But don't worry, because God's going to lift him up and not going to be able to stop him. And these men are sitting there going, wait, we were supposed to be yelling at you and now you're yelling at us. And what I love is they're astonished by it. Because what they realize is, we scare people like this all the time. Everybody else we've ever done this to gets terrified. But these men know. See, what made the church grow was, there was a spirit that changed people. What made the church grow wasn't rules. What made the church grow wasn't God's morality. What made the church grow was there were people in a relationship with Christ that became different. And that differentness, that strangeness, that weirdness was so real, so powerful, and so attractive that others went, I want that. I want that. Even their enemies look at them and go, I'm blown away. I I don't like you, but I got to respect you. And what I love is, I love the statement that they go, you were with Jesus, weren't you? Because brothers and sisters, that's what people see in us. See, what they realized is, they didn't see John and Peter in that moment. They went, the only time we've seen someone this bold, the only time we've seen someone this powerful was Christ. Man, you remind me of Him. Man, you remind me of Him. That's what we should have. See, people aren't going to see your power. They're not going to see your love. They're not going to see your self-control. Because let's be real, we don't have it. We don't have it. It's one of the hardest things to get over in life is you're not powerful enough. You're not disciplined enough. You don't have the answers. By yourself, you will not make it. But man, when you're plugged into Him, you have His power, you have His love, and you have His self-control. And so brothers and sisters, what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to go look at yourself in the mirror for real and truly see who you are right now. Uh, we, we just moved into a new house and um, we were going there early on because I couldn't move anything with my lungs. But I was just laying on the floor playing with the kids and my wife was taking pictures. And um, later that night she showed me some of the pictures. And I'm like, who's that fat bald guy playing with the kids? I'm like, is that, that, what is that bald spot back there? And she's like, well honey, it's, it's looked like that for a while. And I'm like, no it hasn't. She's like, yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of how it's been. And I said, no, every morning I look in the mirror and I've never seen that. When I look in the mirror, I see, yeah, I'm a little chubby, but I'm still good looking and got good hair. It's funny, like, have you ever seen those pictures that make you realize how other people see you? Like, it, it makes you look, just look at your mirror in the morning like, you liar. 
Like that mirror can't even be right. Well, guess what? That's what you do spiritually too. You and I have a tendency to look in the mirror and see certain things we want to see. We need to step back and go, guess what? My father says that if I belong to him, if I'm connected to him, if his spirit is in me, then power, love, and self-discipline will be part of my life. Amen. And in fact, what he says is that power, that love, and that self-discipline, if it's there, it can't be hidden. Can't be covered up, can't be blotted out. So it's time to look in the mirror and ask myself, are power, love, and self-discipline there? And if they're not, that means I'm not right with him. Doesn't mean I need to go work on being powerful. It doesn't mean I need to read some book about love. It doesn't mean I need to practice self-discipline. It means I gotta get back with him. And so, brothers and sisters, what I want to ask you at the beginning of this year is, is when most people are self-reflective is, where are you really with him? I don't care what Bible verses you can memorize. I'm not asking how often you come to church. I'm asking, where are you with him? Are you talking to Him every day? Are you listening to Him every day? Are you following Him? Are you in a place where you can go one of the best relationships in my life is my relationship with my Father? Or are you sitting there right now going, you know what, we really haven't talked in a while. We really haven't talked. You know what, I kind of miss Him. Because brothers and sisters, if you're next to them, if you're living in them, I'll see it. Everyone will see it. Amen. I want us to be that church. I want us to be those people. I want you to have that kind of love that people go, that's strange. Amen. Stop trying to be normal. I'm going to come down to the front. Brother Joe's going to come up with me. We're going to do some time of prayer. I want you really just getting with the Lord and asking Him, Father, where am I? Father, how do I get closer to you? If you've got something on your heart you need to pray about, or if you're sitting there going, I don't even know Him. You know, I've heard about Him, but I don't know Him. Feel free to come up. Feel free to seek us out after church. But guys, the whole point of this is the relationship with God. It's the whole thing. Let's pray.